Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married someday. Okay, hello. Welcome, everyone, to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. Rain Man Digital's exclusive Western podcast. I am Michael, your host, and in the the corral with me to discuss a very polarizing film is David. Hello, David. How's it going, everybody? Oh, yeah, this is very polarizing. Yeah, so we are going to be discussing and breaking down the film The Power of the Dog, directed by Jane Campion. And written by Jane Campion and Thomas Savage. The Power of the Dog is a 2021 revisionist Western. It is based on Thomas Savage's 1967 novel of the same title. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons. Uh, set in Montana, shot mostly within rural New Zealand. The film is an international co-production among New Zealand, Greece, the United Kingdom, the United States, and Australia. The Power of the Dog covers themes such as love, grief, resentment, jealousy, masculinity, and sexuality. Let's throw in pedophilia, pedophilia. as well as ancestral yeah. love affairs. A few things are, they're uh, skipping in that PR release there. Yes. I would add the director of the film was intent to explore the nature of homophobia in the Old West. Uh, the issues of self-hatred brought on by an unwillingness to accept your sexuality and the psychological and physical abuse that a closeted individual can rain on individuals closest to them. Uh, this film has been critically acclaimed by some of the top critical minds working within film analysis today. In fact, the film earned 12 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, from the other side of things, the audience side, most people don't seem to know what to make of the movie. Most would agree that many of the themes are relevant in today's world, and I do agree with that. These are important topics to explore. They help us to better understand the world that we live in. The problem with a movie like this is that I feel like it's almost off limits for true criticism because of the content. 
No one wants to be the person who overly criticizes a queer Western. Yes. Because chances are you're going to look like a bigot. Pretty much. And when I say criticism, I'm talking about academic criticism powered by the understanding of film theory. And I say this because this movie, though delving into important social issues, has a lot of mixed messaging and problematic queer depictions that unfairly align homosexuality to socially unacceptable behavior, meaning there are allusions to pedophilia and incest, which I would say pedophilia and incest are the dominant themes in this movie, not not homosexuality, pedophilia and incest, which is a common misconception that many bigoted individuals assume about gay individuals. They all like children and they're willing to fuck their fathers and their brothers. I mean, how many times have we heard a bigot say something along those lines? They think if you're gay, you want to fuck everything that walks that has a penis. Yeah. And you want to groom people. Yes. So that's the problematic side because of its depictions, it does align itself with those types of social misconceptions. Also, the writing was void of any real closure with no definitive thoughts on the immediate motivations behind anyone. 98% of the story or the meaning was shrouded in ambiguity. And I'll get into this more in detail in a moment. But first, Dave, you heard my initial thoughts. Let me hear yours. My initial thoughts when this first came out, I was very excited for it. I love the Western genre as many people who listen to us know. And when the trailer first came out, it had a very nuanced spaghetti Western vibe. You had the whistling cowboy element in the trailer that I was really excited about. Plus you have Benedict Cumberbatch. Who's one of my, probably my top five favorite actors currently. Oh yeah. Right now. And also the cast behind Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch is nothing to sneeze at. There are good actors in this movie. Pearson Dunn's Jesse Clemens, Amazing. Um, exactly. And like, so I was really excited to see this movie. Then I watched the movie and I was kind of left conflicted because afterwards I, uh, I, I saw that basically this is, this is the type of story that they wanted to say. And I have nothing against it. But I think just like what you alluded to, they have a lot of mixed themes going on in here. And just to add on to that, because of the mixed themes they're dealing with, you get like these conflicting tones. And here's the thing. I will come out and say this right now, just so that people don't, don't, uh, you know, get on their high horse while listening to me and you, I am bisexual. I consider myself LBGTQ. And guess what? I do not like the message that they're saying in the, in power of the dog. I don't think it's, I don't, I I don't feel it's a pro statement. I do feel that it's an anti-statement on homosexuality. Why? Because the characters that you're essentially saying in here that are quote unquote closeted become monsters. They're awful people. And, and, Psychologically, I know that is very true. That is very true that basically 
Um, there, there, there's well-documented cases that basically people say people who repress themselves have negative uh, coping mechanisms that come up. But here's the thing. Everyone wants to focus on that side. They don't think of the flip side. Some people out there, mine included, just don't feel we have to actually tell people that we're gay or that we're bisexual or that we we find a person of the same gender sexually appealing. We just don't feel we have to because we're comfortable with ourselves. And when you're talking for, for, for a bisexual person, a gay person, because I did at one point in my younger years thought I was homosexual as someone coming from that and then seeing this to me, you're basically saying I, that the message you're coming across is I'm being seen in a negative light. If you want to actually tie that to my sexuality. Yeah. Well, that's what the movie did. They, they utilize a lot, a lot of the negative stereotypes to flesh out ideas pertaining yeah. to the queer experience. And I don't know if that was the true intent because at the end of the film, you're left, <laughs> you're left. with this feeling of just disgustingness. You feel gross watching the movie when you start really analyzing it. You feel dirty. Let's, let's slow down a bit and we'll get into all of that. Let's start from the top. Okay. So the problem with this movie was that I didn't really care about anyone in the movie because really everyone was this kind of shitty. Yeah. Kirsten Dunn's character was probably the most interesting. At least you were kind of rooting for her. You liked her. You wanted her to get better, but that's something we never even ended up being privy to. Did she get better? We don't, know. don't know. And the relationships between individuals and the rapport was left to our own interpretations and imaginations. Uh, there were strong allusions to an ancestral relationship between the two brothers in the movie, Phil, uh, played by Cumberbatch and yes. Jesse Plemons, Jesse Plemons. Uh, which is the catalyst for a jealous-induced rage that motivates much of Phil's story in the film. His brother gets married, and Phil is enraged with jealousy. Yes. Much of this is left to our interpretation, but it's fairly clear the brothers harbor animosity towards each other because of a sexual tension that has either been expressed at one point or has been repressed. And now George, the other brother, decided he doesn't want any part of it. Yeah. He gets married, and that's when Phil's ugly side begins to surface. Because in a lot of ways, the story of the two brothers is like the one brother has come to terms with who he is while the other one is still repressed and takes it out on everyone because how dare he, you know, it's the unfairness of the situation that drives that character. There may be people, Dave, that may think we're really pulling shit out of our ass with this incestual aspect, but it's there. Why do you have a big house, a giant home with countless rooms? And the two brothers sleep together in the same bedroom. And when one gets into a relationship with a woman, the other becomes so angry to the point enraged and the, to the point that he 
is uh, psychologically abuses his brother's wife. Yeah. And if, if you were going to say that basically, well, that's because like the, the brother is jealous of the other brother. Then he would take it out on the other brother. But the fact that he takes it out on the wife, it to me is like, that is a repressed jealousy of a, a, of a scorned lover. And that's what it's portrayed as. It absolutely is. The whole thing, their relationship, the two brothers, how they don't really talk to each other. And, and one seems like he's always trying to run away from the other. And the other one wants him to um, almost come back to him is what it feels like. Like, why aren't you communicating with me? Why aren't we talking anymore? Uh, then in the midst of this little debacle, the other brother played by Jesse Plemons ends up getting married. And that's pretty much the catalyst for the rest of the movie. I mean, Phil is obsessed with their mentor that taught him and his brother, everything they know about yeah. the rancher lifestyle. And this is where the pedophilia and the incest comes into play again. Grooming. This mentor is only mentioned by name, but it's clear that Phil and possibly even George were groomed sexually as teens by this mentor known only as Bronco Henry. Phil masturbates with Henry's scarf. He molests and becomes sexually aroused while cleaning Bronco's saddle that he has put into a shrine of sorts where he arbitrarily will come and molest and grope the saddle around the area where the penis sits. Yes. <laughs> it's very strange, which is an obvious metaphor for phallic worship. In fact, a lot of the mise-en-scene is designed with phallic iconography in mind. There were moments that veered into aspects of pedophilia, as I mentioned, when Phil begins to tutor his wife's, or I should say when Phil begins to tutor his brother's wife's teenage son on how to be a man, his closeted inclinations that spur his homophobia veer into areas of pedophilia. Though there is no sex scene between the two, it becomes clear during various moments between the two that Phil had a relationship as a teen with the much older Bronco Henry. And during these scenes, there's a clear intent by Jane, by Jane Campion to create a parallel between Phil's mentor and the one that Phil is forming with his wife's teenage son Peter Peter yeah there are moments that are so uncomfortable because of the aura of eroticism generated in these moments the teenage son is also gay it's obvious oh yeah the teenage son asked Phil about his relationship with Bronco Henry when did you meet him when did he start mentoring you when I was around your age he says very seductively as he tries to create an atmosphere to fuck the kid. That's what it felt like. He puts him on Bronco Henry's saddle. So that is one aspect that I find or I found problematic as it paints queerness into an unnecessary area of ambiguity that only strengthens the ideas that many anti-gay people share. Second, or the second bit here, and this is a spoiler, the teenage son is depicted as a sociopath or, yes. or psychopath. He mutilates an animal in the name of science. He's practicing to be a surgeon. 
Uh, this was a rabbit that he treated almost like a pet. And Practicing then just as a surgeon. Yeah. That's how they try to cover it. Yeah. And then cuts this animal open, mutilates his body. He then callously breaks the neck of another rabbit. Yes. And then he premeditates murder. He puts together an elaborate plan to poison and kill Phil. For what reason? I mean, I suppose you can argue it's because of how Phil mistreats the kid's mother. Yeah, you could say that. But still, let's say, so the two or possibly three gay characters in the movie are either murderers, psychological abusers, pedophiles, and or they take part in incestual relationships. Yes. And that's the thing is kind of like, if you're trying to tell a story about like the, the repression of homosexuality, then fine. But there, it's not like everyone's a monster. That's the thing that really puzzled me throughout this film is like all the characters they wanted to actually push forward with this theme. They turned them into monsters. Even Peter toward the end, you're supposed to see Peter as like this conquering hero because he's protecting to me. The way I interpreted it is he's doing this to Phil because he sees the abuse Phil is doing to his mom. And I can understand that. Listen, Dave, I would agree with you. In fact, I do agree with you, but it's more malicious than simply, I want to protect my mom because of everything that led up to that. Everything that led up to that. And also the doubling down of mutilating, (laughs) mutilating animals. Yeah. I'm like going, no, no, don't do that. During the premeditation aspect, when this kid had apparently decided at some point in the movie, and you don't realize this until the end that he's going to kill Phil. Yeah. Um, He puts together this elaborate plan to essentially give a contaminated rope to Phil that's contaminated with anthrax. With anthrax. To kill him. And he puts together this elaborate plan, a scheme to, to do this. And you don't really know what he's doing until the end of the movie. Until the end of the movie. When Phil dies and no one knows how he died or why he died. Until the doctor says it's possibly anthrax. And then you see the young boy reading a book about anthrax. And then like, you know, that whole thing turned Peter into a serial killer. (laughs) See, is that really the messaging the LGBT community needs? And is that a pro message for the LGBTQ? No. Now, if you had this young gay adolescent for truly protecting his mother. And he was fleshed out as a caring individual and not a murderous psychopath. Yes. Then it would be a whole different conversation we'd be having right now. And if he won over his, his abusive uncle at that point and and remove all the pedophilia aspect, but just. Didn't it look like that's what they were doing? They were trying to soften by putting the boy and Phil together. It looked like they were trying to soften him in a way that would make him feel comfortable with being gay. With being gay. And then at the moment, the one thing I was like cracking up at was like essentially when Phil, when Peter asked Phil about his feelings about uh, Bronco Henry and then Phil rebukes it, right? So at that moment, Peter kills Phil. Essentially, what you're saying is because Phil represses his emotions, he deserves to die. 
<laughs> yeah, because honestly, Phil really didn't do anything. I mean, he was kind of a he shitty a, person. He was a shitty person, but to, did he to deserve Peter's death? Mom? I mean, he didn't murder anybody. He was just kind of a dickhead. If you if you weigh the uh, weigh the morality, this the morality in this movie is kind of askewed. Yeah. And I listen, I don't subscribe necessarily to mainstream thoughts of morality anyways. I feel like morality is simply a way to create value judgments on things that you don't approve of. And then it gives the person evaluating morality a sense of power over the other. So I don't necessarily subscribe to that. So I, I'm, I'm okay with the ambiguity around morality. But when you're telling a certain movie that has to do with creating a positive message, positive message. That's about queerness and queer cowboy life. Then I don't feel like this was the best approach to take. Now you can argue that Jane Campion is presenting the alternatives, you know, meaning this is what happens when society forces queer individuals to hide who they are. It instills self-hatred that then can manifest itself into other areas in one's life. And families always and unfairly end up suffering the consequences. But movies like American Beauty did it better. You know, this feels like convoluted messaging pieced together through thematic elements that don't quite sync well. Yeah. In a lot of ways to me, as I said a moment ago, the film feels anti-gay. And it does. It, the messaging itself, it's, it's, if it's supposed to be a posi- positive message... It fails. It fails being a positive message. I don't understand how there hasn't been maybe in a few years when other film film theorists will get a hold of this movie and sit down to write an essay on it. Maybe they will. But I'm surprised that we've not seen any LGBT film theorists out there really get into this movie and break it down in not a a positive way, but breaking down the the many negative ways they depict gay individuals there's a there, uh, this is my own opinion mike when it comes to writing these types of stories and especially when you're breaking down stories like this i think there are critical theorists out there that can do it but i think there's a fear of actually touching it it's like what i said at the top of the show that people are afraid in a lot of ways to Say, well, this isn't a great movie because you're actually doing this, this, and that. Yeah. Because if you complain about a movie like this, what's the automatic thought? You're a bigot. You're a bigot. You just or don't like. You hate gay people. You hate gay people. And, and that's, that's that's probably why a lot of people just kept quiet. So think, you pr- think about think about what I did in the beginning of the show, Mike. I had to actually state for verbatim. Yeah. Hey, I'm a. I consider myself a bisexual person. Hence why I consider myself part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. This is my opinion of this film. I don't see this as a positive viewing of that cult of our, of the culture. Yeah. It's not, it's not a great depiction. It's not a great depiction. And yet people don't want to say that because if you say anything bad of anything, you know, it used to be racial or racial oriented themes, but now it's more sexual oriented themes. Mm -hmm. You automatically get stamped as a person who is ignorant. So that's why it's, it's, it's one of those things. I do understand your point about like how 
it's a shame that there doesn't seem to be any critical theorists that are willing to take the gamble, willing to take that stand to say, no, I'm going to stand here, break this down and tell you as this person, this is a negative way of showing that culture. Yeah. It's, it's much like the, the, the comparison that I had, I saw with this movie is uh, the movie. Uh, I think it's deep purple though. It's the, uh, let me just make sure uh, the color purple. Yeah. Uh, bringing up the color purple. When the color purple first came out, people were afraid to actually say this is not a perfect film because everyone in the black community was saying that this is awesome. This is fantastic. This is our film. It's like with black Panther. Yes. So everyone blew no it. No one wants to say anything negative about those movies. Because, because they're afraid. They're afraid to be called a racist. Yeah. But well, look what happened with, with Sam Elliott. I feel sorry for that because I was one of those people that. Well, yeah. We, we were in the studio <laughs> snickering at Sam Elliott. Like what an idiot. I feel bad. And that's before we saw the movie. And then yes. we saw the movie. Sam Elliott was actually was right. right. It is a very <laughs> odd, right. bizarre movie. His quote was probably should set the stage here. Sam Elliott was on a podcast and stars. This is like the bane of their existence. They shouldn't be on podcasts because they want to be casual. They want to shoot from the hip, but we live in a society that we can't shoot from the hip because if you do, you're going to end up saying things like this where he wasn't saying anything necessarily, necessarily derogatory, but people turned what he said into sound bites. And then made headlines with it and made it out to be like he was complaining about just the gay side of it. But yeah. what he was trying to say was it's just odd. It's an odd movie. And his exact words were he was likening the look of the cowboys in the film to Chippendale dancers. Uh, they're all running around in chaps and no shirts. There's all these allusions to homosexuality throughout the fucking movie. And then uh, Mark Marin, who was the host of the podcast for the Mark Maron podcast. Yeah. I think that's what the movie's about. That's all he said. Yeah. <laughs> and why in the fuck does she shoot? He's talking about the director, this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana and say, this is the way it was. That that's a little, that, that, that one I have to, I look, uh, I'm going to be honest. That's the only time I will question Sam Elliott. Like, yeah, I mean, listen, Sam Elliott, you should know how movies, how work. movies work. I mean, Los Angeles, you know, fronts for, almost every aspect of this world at some point in a movie. I'm sorry. How many Westerns were shot in Canada? Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand that argument, but again, this is a guy who's not a performer necessarily that improvise. He's on a podcast and he's trying to generate content for the host and he's just speaking from his ass. So I don't feel like there's anything wrong with what he said, but when you really streamline down what he's attempting to convey, he is right. The movie is strange and it has weird allusions to more than just homosexuality. So, so I get what he's saying now outside of the odd messaging, the overall writing, let's get more technical here. Just felt incomplete. I'm, I'm well aware that for the most part, Western society has been conditioned to ingest literature films, et cetera, that are the, that are for the most part laid out in a very similar fashion. For example, plotting is emphasized, or I should say privileged 
act structure is privileged. The craft is privileged. The idea of how you form a cohesive script, I understand is different in different places. So the idea that there is more than one way to write a screenplay is not lost on me, but this script never quite finishes a thought or an idea. That's the problem. It's not the act structure. It's not the, the emphasis on tone and messaging over perhaps plot or structure. There's just no complete thought. There's a narrative thread that plays a relevant part in the ending that is clever, as you mentioned about the rope and the anthrax, and it yeah. works to tighten up the act structure. But for the most part, nothing is ever fully explored. It's just a scrape of the surface throughout the whole movie. Do you agree with that? That nothing's fully fleshed out? Yeah, there's a lot of assumption that's played within the story because, say, for example, the whole thing between Phil and his brother. Yeah. We are assuming as the audience that that is the, the source of Phil's resentment. Right. The marriage of, of, the two, of his brother and his new uh, sister-in-law. But it's not said. It's not, you know, shown. It's not because, like, we're supposed to actually assume. Yeah, and David, you and I are advocates of, of not necessarily having to tell us everything. Like, I feel, I feel like audiences are smart enough to understand a bit of ambiguity, and yes. you don't need to state everything. In fact, I hate when directors and writers state everything. Yes. I feel like it's, it's awful. But this is the complete opposite of this that. This is the opposite. Don't make us assume, because as the old adage says, when you, when you make me assume, you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> So yeah, well, Dave, we assume everything in this movie because nothing is yeah. stated. By the way, we don't even know for sure that Cumberbatch's character is actually gay because they never really state it. They never really stated. They, they never just really showed it. They they alluded to it because remember the thing that basically. But like, how? So when Peter asked Phil, when Peter asked Phil, "Hey, what about your feelings about Brock O'Henry?" And then Phyllis says, oh, no, I didn't. It wasn't like that. Okay. We, you can take that in two directions. It's not just one. Yeah, he, he can either be, yes, he could actually be repressing it. Or he could be obviously saying, no, it's not like that. I never really saw him that way. Yeah. Okay. And that's the problem. You left, you left us as the audience to make our own assumptions and that's why at the end of the day, I understand why a lot of people are conflicted about this movie because the writing in itself is relying on its audience to assume a lot of things. And David, the hate has nothing to do with, with the gayness because there no. is a lot of hate around this movie Absolutely when it not. comes to the mainstream. It has nothing to do with the gayness. And I know that's what Campion is probably going to use as her little suit of armor. Oh, these are just, you know, homophobic people who don't like gay people. But if you remember, there was another Western about 10, 15 <laughs> years ago called Brokeback Mountain. And it did it a hundred times better. <laughs> and it was a gay love story yep. that was considered a Western. For the most part, people didn't hate it. People enjoyed the movie because it was a well-written story. Now, yeah. there are some, if you're not gay, there are some moments that make you cringe a bit just because 
hey, if you're not gay, you don't really want to see gay sex. So there are some moments that are uncomfortable. Yeah. But but for the most part, people could all people. Yes, I think now that time has gone by, a lot of people make jokes about that movie. But when the movie came out, it was well received by a lot of people. I, so I don't think it has anything to do with gay when it comes to the dislike of this movie by the mainstream. It's the oddities of this film. And just to just to add on to the questionable the questionable validity of the film, yes, people will cite it got nominated for twelve nominations, Mike. Twelve. Wait, you got nominated for twelve nominations or twelve Oscar nominations? Twelve Oscar nominations, sorry. Yeah. It only won one. And guess which one won? Which one are you talking about? Uh for the Oscar nominations? No, it only it- won one. No, it didn't. Won uh, five. No, I'm actually have it up here. I have it. I have the list right in front of me. And what movie are you talking about? The one we're talking about? Yes, dude. It won best directing. Yeah, best directing. Best, that's it. Best performance for supporting role. Uh, no, it got nominated. It actually shows that it they they won. I think you're looking nomination. at the wrong thing. Unless I'm looking at the wrong thing because it says here winner. It says the five. Okay, so it says winner Oscar best achievement directing. Best performance by an actor in supporting role was Cody Smith McPhee. Best adaptive screenplay, Jane Campion. Best motion picture of the year. Yeah, all the... Best performance by an actor was Jesse Plemons. On the Wikipedia, it just shows them as nominated. Yeah, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia and I was like going, the only one that they actually put was best director. You know, let's let's do a double check here just to verify. But IMDb says it won five and was nominated for 12. Okay. But if it in fact won for five... Okay. But when I looked at it, I'm like going, the only one that says is best director. And I'm like going, hmm. Well, that's why I am completely confused by this because the movie won five Oscars. And yet I, I usually I can agree with the winner of the Oscar. I'm like, okay, even if I didn't like the movie, I'm like, okay, I can see where they're coming from. I get that. Or you'll have a movie that won best picture, but didn't win best directing. You can understand why sometimes same thing with best picture and best writing, but this movie for it to pretty much sweep the Oscars and all the major categories. I don't understand that because this movie just isn't that good. Because it won because of its content. People, <clears throat> the people in the LGBTQ community rallied around the film to push it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I, was the thing. It's, I mean, it's a shame because the acting was good. I mean, Cumberbatch is just amazing. Jesse Plemons is great. It's a shame that Kirsten Dunst didn't win because she did very well. The cinematography was gorgeous. I will say that uh, director of photography, Ari Wegner shot the power of the dog. She used a female cinematographer who would be willing to embark on a full year of preparations alongside her. And I will say the movie did reflect a year of preparation in the way of visuals. The cinematography was stunning. It was everything it should be. Uh, The music was uh, performed by Johnny Greenwood the style of music was an interesting take. Um, Campion wanted to avoid the seat, the sweeping strings as she calls them that are typical of Westerns. And she opted instead to use uh, 
brass sounds in order to emphasize the alien forbidding nature of the film's landscapes. That's where the whistling cowboy came into play. Yeah. So that was good as well. But yeah, Dave, I am. I'm not quite sure why this movie was so beloved other than what you said, you know, about it being a queer film essentially. And a lot of people rallied behind the fact that a female directed the movie as well Directed the movie and a female was a cinematographer as well. So maybe that's why a lot of people rallied behind it because I, David, I usually love movies. I love indie films. In fact, I prefer them. I prefer movies typically like this over mainstream films, but this movie just, I don't feel like it was overly effective in anything it did except perhaps cinematography. Well, also afterwards for me, a really great film that deserves Academy Awards. When I leave it, I should understand why it's it's being nominated. But when my the only inclination in me is like the only reason why it got nominated was because of the themes that it's talking about. And sure enough, you know, when people bring up the power of the dog, that's all they talk about is oh, it it's talking about like repressed homosexuality. Do you know about that? I'm like going. Yeah, yeah, it does. But like the only thing that really sticks out on me by the end of the movie, do I want to rewatch that film? Not really. Do I do I like any of the characters? Were any of the characters memorable? Not just likable. Because you you made the comment that basically earlier that by the end of the film you realize that none of the characters are likable, and that's true. Are any of the characters memorable? You could make the comment that Phil is memorable, but that's because of Benedict Cumberbatch. All the other characters are kind of forgettable. Even Kristen Dunst's character, who go, who becomes just regulated to being a alcoholic woman in the West. That's not a really great thing to actually portray women. <laughs> yeah, and I understand we, you know, movies like this try to depict the reality of life. But um, overall, it was just a lot of problematic messaging, in my opinion. For me, it's the problematic messaging because your mixed messages are damaging all the supposed positive messages that you want to give for this film. Okay, so I'm wrong in everything. I don't know why the website says that, but uh, so you're right, Dave. That was only nominated for, so it was nominated for 12. Yeah. Actor in a leading role was actually Will Smith. Will Smith for King Henry. Actor in supporting role or was King Richard. Was Troy Hatsur of Coda. Actress yeah. was Jessica Chastain. Cinematography was the cinematographer for Dune. Directing and- was Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, which I will give her that. The directing was good because of the blocking and because of the performance she was able to get from the actors. That to me, wasn't bad. You're dealing with capable actors. I I feel like at the end of all of this, Dave, it comes down to the messaging and the writing of the movie that created just an inconsistent mess. And I'm sorry, because like when you take it into context that basically it was nominated for 12 and only won one. That should yeah. tell you a lot because at the end of the day, while we might, we might treat the Oscars as a joke and the Academy award, you know, that panel, we might criticize them when they make their 
votes, they at least vote with some validity. Yeah. And they might nominate people, but they basically will not validate and basically say, well, does this person really better than person B? Like, I agree with you. Cinematography was great. I thought the cinematography was fantastic. I like what they did, but was it better than Dune? Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I feel a little better now. Now that I know that it didn't win all those awards, I feel a little better. I don't feel like I'm completely out of it because I always thought I aligned pretty well with the Oscars, like their line of thinking when it comes to analyzing these types of films and are, and awarding the proper films that deserve in these particular categories. And when I looked at the list, I'm like, did it really win all these? Wow. I must completely, I felt like I was inadequate, Dave. I'm like, I should just quit because why am I analyzing movies when I'm so far off critically? And now I feel better because I'm glad it did a win best adapted script. It was not a good script. It was not a good script. The, the adapted screen screenplay. I'm like, like, no, you don't, you don't get there. <laughs> you, you, you're not there. Okay. So Dave, we are, we are ready. It seems like we're expressing our final thoughts. So uh, let's just pretend we are now entering into the saloon and we're saying hi to Kirsten Dunst. Who's drunk. <laughs> he, has she, I mean, she is still gorgeous, isn't she? She's still she? gorgeous, yeah. I mean, she was like, okay, so in Spider-Man, just to be douchey for a second, in Spider-Man, she was cute because she was young, she was thin. She's MJ. Yeah. And then as she has grown older, I think she's getting hotter. Yeah, she's maturing out. <laughs> I, and I never realized she has some big old Tambotos, too. Oh, dude, she, she is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so David... I'm in the saloon. I have now um, visually undressed Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst's character. Not not her, but the character she plays. And now I'm drinking a whiskey, and I'm going to give this uh, film, I'm going to give it a 68% on the RMD score. And that 68% has to do with acting and cinematography. Okay, let's see. Well, since you're undressing Kristen, Kirsten Dunst with your eyes, I'll undress Benedict Cumberbatch with oh, my eyes. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm just being honest. It's problematic I'm, messaging, Dave. I'm you're, just you're being sexualizing honest. men. <laughs> I'm just being honest. He's a good-looking man. but <laughs> Talented, for um, sure. And he's talented, so that's even a double bonus. Yeah, there you go. So I'm a little higher on this one because I'm a little bit more forgiving with this one but it's not far off from you i put this i cannot put this higher than a 75 but i brought this down to a 72 solely because i understand some of the elements yeah that people say is great about it mm -hmm. i mean i like the tone the tone uh, the, the you know the people call it a melancholy quiet tone the, the, the whistling cowboy yeah soundtrack i thought was fine the cinematography I loved. I love the cinematography. Direction was good. I, I will give her that. And Benedict Cumberbatch's performance just, he ate, the, ate up the screen. So he deserved to actually be nominated yeah. for an Academy Award. It's the other elements I'm just not jiving with. I don't, I don't think this is a very well thought out screenplay, an adapted screenplay because it's based on a book. And 
you know, while we've just we just said that the cast did fine, they really didn't they really didn't uh, pop for me. They were basically very muted when it comes to their characters. Yeah, and you add that with a very very confusing story and mixed with mixed messaging, it brings it way down. And I, it's this is one of the Academy Award films where I'm like going. I see the politics behind why it actually got nominated. I don't agree with it, but I understand why it's up there. Yeah. I think I'm just disappointed in the movie as well because you and I had been really anticipating this film and the way the trailer was designed to convey almost a spaghetti Western vibe. They even marketed it as the whistling cowboy. If you remember in various headlines. Yeah. So I immediately grew excited i was like this is going to be awesome the whistling cowboy benedict cumberbatch and then we get this odd film that just didn't quite fit right with me yeah and i I feel like that's also part of my disappointment as well and in a lot of ways dave you know what this movie feels like to me what and this may be controversial to some because i know people did love this movie felt a lot like except for the negative messaging or the problematic messaging felt a lot like there will be blood. Yes. If you remember that movie, I hated and loved that, <laughs> Love movie that film. Yeah. Because Daniel day Lewis is just fantastic. And I've always made this joke that you could watch Daniel day Lewis, watch paint dry and he would make it interesting because he's that type of actor. And I love that movie because he does wonders in that film. That film, yeah. He makes the shittiest of scripts just amazing with his performance. Mm-hmm. But the writing in that movie is fucking lame. Maybe if I go back to it now, it has been years since I watched it. Maybe I'll think differently. It's a little bland. But this style of movie reminds me of that, except mm-hmm. I would probably give There There Will Be Blood like an 85% on the RMD score. Uh, but it feels similar. It, it, you take this amazing talent like Cumberbatch and he's really the the only real redeeming aspect of the film, in my opinion, is he's just so good. And his range is his range seems to be limitless. Yeah. As an actor. Oh, absolutely. So, all right, let's bring this show to a close. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please find us on iTunes and Spotify. Those are our preferred places. Give us a review and thumbs up. We do need those in order to keep on doing these shows. Thank you, David. Thank you. And good night. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell. Hell, hell.